Algar Productions. Welcome to the Death of Podcasts. I'm Al, and this is Amanda. Hello. And we're making our way through Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, one book at a time. This month, we're discussing Book Ten, Moving Pictures. Yep. Why don't you tell the people what happened in Moving Pictures? Firstly, I want to say that we read through this book real fast because we were promised a vacation. And now we're not getting that vacation, so we rode, we went through this book for fast for no reason. Well, also, we both knew this was maybe our least favorite Discworld book, and right after this is the promised land, and we wanted mm-hmm. to get through it because this is over the hump. So there's not no reason. No reason. There's not no reason. We were going to listen, we were going to have a car ride, and we were going to listen to a good book together. Yeah, well, we're not doing that. Instead... We're lying in our own bed, like John and Yoko, mm-hmm. and recording a podcast from it. Yeah, and my leg's screwed up. Yeah, her leg is screwed up. So You, uh, you know what? My leg's screwed up. I've been in excruciating agony for days, and do you know what was week? worse? Moving pictures. Moving pictures was worse. I'm it aware. made me feel worse. I, I'm aware, because I shared this pain with you. <sighs> so why don't you at least tell the people quickly what happened in this book? The plot, Whatever. The plot summary. No. People did not subscribe to this podcast to hear whatever. We have to be specific with our criticism. Use your words. Whatever, Terry Pratchett. You, he's dead. <laughs> he can't hurt you anymore. He doesn't normally hurt me. Yes, I know. That's what makes it so painful. <laughs> he betrayed me yes. with this book. Please summarize. All right. Victor, a longtime student at Unseen University, gets caught up in the latest craze, moving pictures. He becomes an actor, meets Ginger, another actor, and Gaspo, a talking dog. It turns out that movies are evil somehow, and the three of them stop the world from ending. So the vibe I got from this was we're at book 10 now. Mm-hmm. The author has probably, and you read L Space. Was there yeah. anything about this in there? The actor, the, the author has enjoyed a, a moderate amount of success, has gone to Hollywood to discuss the adaptation of his works, and found the place to be shallow and vapid and soulless. There was nothing about that in L space, but it sure felt like that. It sure felt like every author, every filmmaker, every creative person mm-hmm. who's even adjacent to showbiz, who gets a chance to, to take their work to, to Hollywood or someplace like that, tells this kind of a story when they try to do it and fail. And almost none of them are good. No. There's there... a small handful that are enjoyable. Sure. There are There are some movies and some books that are good about going to Hollywood and them trying to drain your Mm -hmm. creative vision, but mostly I have heard this story a million times. Mostly my response is, shut up, writers. Oh, someone wanted to pay you a million dollars for your work and they wanted to make it more commercial. Guess what? That's that. Who who could have possibly seen this coming? All the other stories that came before this, that's who. And I mean, this was played out long before this book was written. Oh, it absolutely was. It was played out... What was we watched a movie? We were on an old movie kick mm-hmm. last year, and we watched a movie with uh, Jimmy Cagney. Mm-hmm. It was about making movies. Mm-hmm. You know the one I'm talking about? No. And I cannot remember the Whatever. name of it now. It doesn't matter. It was pretty good, mm-hmm. and even then, it was clear that it was like 1946 was or so. That it was already yeah. a cliche, and they put some new weird comedic spins mm-hmm. on it. But this, yeah, the, we there is a subset of Discworld books that this is the first of. Yes, that. We don't like. Nope. It's things from our world go to Discworld. That's it. And they break through as like an idea, an unstoppable force, mm-hmm. uh, or in this case, evil. Yeah, and uh, 
my thing is you're on book 10 now. Mm-hmm. You have created a wonderful mm-hmm. fantasy world a, a, and a place we can escape our world mm-hmm. and see, oh, and you've put a new spin on fantasy stuff and it's different than we've ever seen before. It's palatable to me mm-hmm. who hates fantasy. This is great, this world you've built and this city you've built and all these people. And instead you just make it like our world again. Mm-hmm. Why, why would you make your fantasy world into our world? That's boring. The thing is, I read a lot, mm-hmm. like a whole lot. I know. But I read almost no stuff based in the real world. Like I read some nonfiction that's uh, based in the real world, but almost all the fiction I read has some kind of fantastical element because I live in the real world. I hate it. It sucks. And you want some escapism. That's why people read sci-fi, fantasy, horror, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty typical. And yeah, why does he keep wanting to make the Discworld into Mm -hmm. our world? It's not interesting. He's already made a great world. And he does it to greater and lesser success uh, in in subsequent books, but this is by far the worst one. What I like is when, within the world, yeah. they use the technology that's available to them to create something similar to mm-hmm. what we have, but not identical, rather than the exact idea with all the specific things that mm-hmm. go with it leaking into their world as inspiration that no one can control. Mm-hmm. Like... Mm-hmm. The Clax, for instance, is a cool idea that basically, without really spoiling any specific plot, he says, you know, in medieval times, they basically had everything they needed to have the internet if they did it like this with semaphore. And he played They talk that, about he, that with steam as well, where right. because- The technology was around for thousands of years. We had the technology like in, At in, least Greek, in times. Greek times. Yeah. yeah. But no one thought to use the application- right. And playing with the idea that fantasy is set Mm -hmm. in a sort of nebulous medieval time, Mm -hmm. he's like, okay, what if these people knew what we knew then, but applied it in different ways? That's interesting to me. But when it's just Hollywood and specific movies, here's a movie you might recognize, here's a movie you might recognize. I thought maybe... Because uh, the last time I read this, I had seen some of the old movies this was talking about. Mm-hmm. But you and I watched basically every movie from 1938 except uh, the the ones about planes, like people yeah. learning how to drive planes, and then aren't planes great? Yeah, because those ones are terrible. Yeah, we've talked about that before. But um, we no, watched, we watched tons and yeah. tons of movies, and we even went into the 40s and a bit into the 50s. Like we're very, like, pr- well, I don't want to say very well versed, but pretty well versed in yeah. In, the golden age of Hollywood, and we su- we were surprised by how uh, like good a lot of that was, how and, timeless and, a lot yeah, of it was, and forward thinking. Like yeah. it, it wasn't like, ugh, why are we watching this no. thing from the stupid I ages? I mean, there was definitely we were definitely blindsided with the occasional like, oh, that was okay back then, mm-hmm. and it's not okay now. But also a lot of social commentary that disappeared from movies yep. for a long time, and women were in movies then. Oh yeah. More than one. Oh, yeah. You could have more than one. I mean, one of the very best movies we watched is a movie called Stage Door, Mm -hmm. which basically did not pass the reverse Bechtel test. It was like 10 women leads and I think two dudes in the entire movie. And they were sort of bumbling oafs who kind of came and went, but were not important to the story. Yeah. But- uh, Well, Terry Pratchett doesn't learn that lesson here again. Yeah. We- But- I thought maybe uh, knowing what I know now, I would be able to come back to this. Yeah, here's uh, and, a bunch of references. Yeah, but it was there was no depth to it. Well, and all the references were super low-hanging fruit. Yeah. It was all the movies we knew the first time around because they were incredibly- I, had, I got one joke I didn't get. Yeah. 
from from the last time I read through. And this. you read in some possible insight to one of the characters that I right. don't know that no I agree one else with, is but... no one else sees, but it's definitely true. Okay, well we'll talk about that in yeah. a second. There is a passage that takes about a page and a half to play out. Mm-hmm. Where it's it's Dibbler, it's Cut Me Own Throat Dibbler, who is a street vendor in all the mm-hmm. other books. He's shown up before. He'll show up many times again. Again and again and again. Terry, Terry Pratchett, Pratchett falls in love with this character. I do not because he's got one thing and that's I will sell you things. Mm-hmm. That is that is whole his whole bit. But it, this is his book and that's one of the reasons yep. I don't like it is because it's about him and doing crass things to make money but yep. not in a charming way. Just nope. in a, you know. And you thought he reminded you of yeah, there is, um, I was about to say a character. He was a person mm-hmm. uh, called Zigfield, mm-hmm. and there's a couple of movies based on him where- Well, there's one movie and then one- Yeah. I mean, it technically counts, but it was like a flashback from when he's in heaven? Yeah, it's weird, because the, the first one is called Zigfield's Follies, and mm-hmm. it's sort of his life story, and his whole deal was he put on these larger-than-life shows where everyone was like, you can't do that, it's too big, and he'd be mm-hmm. like, no, 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 you've got to- you've got to run before you can crawl and you've got to mm-hmm. fly before you can walk and you, it's always got to be the most, the most, the most all the time. And uh, William Powell, who was the, the, the male lead in the mm-hmm. Thin Man movies and many other things, we I loved him. I love him so much. So charming. Yep. And he sold it because it was like, well, yeah, he's going to cheat all these people out of their money, but yep. he's so charming and he really believes in this. Yeah, and people would come back to him a second time round and uh-huh. to, be, to be fooled again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, yeah, weirdly, there was a sequel ish done where because he it's a it's his life story so you know spoilers he dies at the end um and the sequel is we go to heaven where Uh where he's william powell's in heaven well that's the that's the bookend of the movie is he's in heaven saying if i were still alive this is the show i would make now yeah with modern actors yeah so weird well weird choice hollywood i don't want to spend this whole thing talking about things that aren't this book i i mean people (laughs) are listening to this podcast to hear our opinions of the books but there's so much better things i know but the point of that movie was his widow Mm -hmm. was left penniless and she used his life rights to like make a couple of bucks and that's why they made a second she was actually worse than penniless because she inherited his debt which was substantial she sold his the his life rights to his longtime rival and nemesis yeah just uh, to make money to to make and yeah to make ends meet but that's why they made a sequel because she still needed money but um dibbler had a lot of the same characteristics he he wanted to make a bigger show and more show and more, more, more. And he came in and um, took over from uh, another character and sort of conned his way into uh, he, making larger he didn't and larger con shows. his way, though. He just forced his way mm-hmm. in. That's why it wasn't the same to me is because he never he never tricked anyone. He was never charming. He just basically said, this is the way we're going to do it. And if you don't like it, get out. And like, that's not interesting. When he first came in, he did the thing where he was a little bit um, con manny and he kept um, mm, promoting the other guy until he promoted him right out of the right out of the creative process. So I don't know. I saw a connection there and it seemed it reminded me a lot of what I saw in the Zigfield movies. Except without charm, that's nothing. And Dibbler is not a very charming character. He's not charming in the least. But there's a sequence, and this is part of my bad mm-hmm. thing. 
there's a sequence where Dibbler slowly cobbles together the plot of Gone with the Wind mm -hmm. and then almost names it Gone with the Wind before naming it something very slightly different. Blown that, away. That pretty much sums up the entire experience mm -hmm. of reading this book. The experience of reading this book is like having someone sitting next to you the whole time, elbowing you in the ribs and saying, get it? Do you get it? Do you get what I'm doing here? And it's so tedious. And this takes a lot of those comedy sequences. Some people like those. Yeah, from the other books and writes it large. Like it's just comedy sequence uh -huh. after comedy sequence. Yeah. Unrelenting. It's and not there's good. very few jokes. Like and when I talk about a joke, I mean just a short, funny bit. Yeah, I know what a joke and is. They, but to differentiate it from the comedy sequences. Uh -huh. And like he normally peppers his work with these small, sharp jokes, and there just wasn't that many of them. There was a couple. Mm -hmm. There was a few laughs. I wouldn't say that this book had no laughs, unlike Sorcery, which had no laughs. Yeah, but this one insulted my intelligence. Yes. And this... the jokes that it did have were bad. Mm -hmm. For instance, uh, we have a new Arch-Chancellor of Unseen University mm -hmm. who finds out that the librarian's an orangutan. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, uh, why, why are we keeping him on? And the other guy says, well, we pay him peanuts. That's not <laughs> funny. That's terrible. Jokes. Yeah, it's just not, it's not, it's not good. And there's so many, like I say, references mm -hmm. to other things like that are not great. There's, there's a bit where they're talking about inventing popcorn, which mm -hmm. they call banged grains. Mm -hmm. Okay. And someone says, I don't really know why I did that. And that just sums up these kinds of his stories. Yep. They just keep adding things that belong with the thing the book is about without really understanding why. Because they're poking into the universe is the explanation. Uh, but it's not. It's not very satisfying, though. No, it's not. And in the last part of the book, when, when the, the first of eight climaxes happens, there's some kind of satisfying stuff mm -hmm. where the... The whole thing that holds all of Discworld together that comes up in almost every book, which is the power of belief. Yes. And the fact that these movies have become so big and everyone believes them and that gives these demon creatures mm -hmm. power enough to leap off the screen and they take the form of the actors on the screen. And I thought that was kind of okay. That was all right. And that was the this book had two endings now all terry pratchett books pretty much have about 1700 epilogues yeah and i actually kind of like that usually mm. um i do um because i like that we catch we catch up with all of the characters at the very end uh, just briefly I, I actually like that as a stylistic choice but this book had two distinct endings and there was no reason to have the second ending except that he wanted to um do a joke about Oscars. Yeah. Um, no, the, the, the Oscar thing was throughout the book is yeah. the thing. It wasn't even like, and this is where the Oscar thing goes. It was already there. It was already there, but he wanted to have a giant gold statue fighting back the monsters. Yeah, but um, he set up the giant gold statue holding a sword yeah. who looks like someone's Uncle Osric. Mm -hmm. Okay, or Oswald. Okay, mm -hmm. okay. I okay. get it. Oh my God, I get it. Do you get it? But do you get it? I'm a horse yes. and you're a horse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And it goes on like that for yeah. six pages. Yeah. And like I say, and, and then on top of that, we have, we introduce a new uh, Arch-Chancellor of Unseen University. Yeah. Who is a character you like and I am not fond of. Yeah. Basically, he just stands around and yells a lot and none of the other characters do anything or say anything. They just get yelled at. Yes. 
Why is that interesting? I love him. So that's that, not an answer. That's Mustrum Ridcully is the new Arch Chancellor. Uh-huh. And there's a really good sequence. It's not my quote, but it was almost my quote where they describe bringing him on. And the first, the beginning of the book, actually, the first maybe two chapters or so, I was like kind of enjoying it. I was like, there was some good mm. jokes and I like some of the characters. Um, and I was like, oh, maybe this isn't as bad as I remember it being because I'm enjoying a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they talk about um, the university decides they need a different type of arch chancellor because they've been through like 50 in the last yeah, couple and, of weeks. And we've set up long ago that the, the power structure there is everyone's got to watch their back because yeah. they're all trying to like, you know, stab each other. But they just want things to settle down for a minute. And everybody has been backstabbing everybody so much mm-hmm. that uh, no one can, no one within the structure can right. be in charge of it. So they find um, Ridcully the Brown, uh, who is Wait, like... That must be some hilarious Tolkien reference. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, and so they, they think, okay, what we need is like a country wizard, just a real like chap who goes out and smokes pipes and has a, has a twinkle in his eye and can talk to birds and all this stuff, and that's who we want. And then it turns out what they get is a hard-drinking, hard-smoking like country guy who is not used to being inside and who just bullies his way into everything. It does not it shouldn't shock you to learn that I like a character who is just a big loud bully. It's just uh... And I love that the scheming doesn't work on him mm-hmm. because he's too like forward and straight thinking for that to to work on him and he just completely changes the university and it's what changes the university from a sort of scheming vipers pit into more sort of a jokey place into a bunch of old man jokes and a bunch of old men who are scared because someone's going to yell at them i don't love the old man jokes which is most of it the, I don't love the old man jokes, but I do love most of the Ridcully stuff. I really enjoy him, and especially when he's taken out of the university and, and surrounded by more interesting characters. There, well, so like the like the librarian. Yeah, the like, librarian's yeah. better when he's not part of. It. Yeah, and he's in this too, and he's okay. But whatever. Um, no, there's some okay. I like the that. librarian, but he was not best used in this. Mm, there were a couple of bits. We'll get yeah. to him in a minute. But Ridcully was described as this is an actual quote. One of those hedgerow and dicky bird chappies. I don't know what any of those words mean. I love all of those words. What do they mean? I don't know. Don't care. Do you want to know? No, I really don't. It doesn't make a difference. You want to read so, some more fantasy books? I really don't. It's just, it's, it's, uh, yeah. He just shouts a lot. We're just going to have to disagree. Okay. I we're, disagree with you. We're going to have to agree to disagree with you. With you. Nope. Enjoy right. your wrong opinion. Nope. I am, except it's a right opinion. <laughs> oh. So what was your good thing? Um, actually, my good thing was in the uh, same sequence that you were talking about at the end, mm-hmm. where the, um, the magic of the moving pictures mm-hmm. comes out and turns into giant versions of the actors, mm-hmm. and then Victor has to figure out a way to stop them right. because they're heading towards the library at the university, and once they eat that magic, mm-hmm. then it's going. they're going to be impossible to stop. Right. So he figures out that he can use the... Um, oh, right. And it's Hollywood, not right. Hollywood. Right. Do you get it? Yes, I get it. Do you? Yes, thank you. Please stop um, elbowing my ribs. 
<laughs> so he figures out, because he's been so involved in it, how to use the magic. And actually, he and Ginger both do. Yeah. They're like, okay, all right, if if you're in a movie and you can't hear me, you mm-hmm. have to believe what you see. Yep. And I liked all that stuff. And so in Discworld's magic system, the idea is that if you create something real, if you create a loaf of bread or a banana or whatever, mm-hmm. it takes a huge amount of energy. And then keeping it real instead of just having it dissipate takes even more energy, and it's one of the hardest things you can do. Mm-hmm. So what Victor figures out is that because of the way movies are you only have to make it real for a fraction of a second and then just do it over and over and over and over again Mm -hmm. which works better and uh you can do a lot more than you can with regular magic right which i thought was a clever use of the magic system and movies and it was one of the only clever uses of the world that we know in Discworld and movies in the whole fucking book yeah i i would agree with that um let's talk about victor a little bit so, I was so prepared to be into Victor. Well, the first 50 to 100 pages, he the description of him before he really starts, before the book starts, is pretty interesting. Well, let me read my quote, because my quote is actually um, a Victor quote. Is it the description it's, of it's his, his? Yeah, that's, yeah I like yeah. that quite a bit. So, uh, this is a description of Victor. Mm-hmm. Victor Tugelbend was also the laziest person in the history of the world. Not simple, ordinary lazy, Ordinary laziness was merely the absence of effort. Victor had passed through there a long time ago, had gone straight through commonplace idleness and out on the far side. He put more effort into avoiding work than most people put into hard labor. Yeah, very good. And there's a lot of stuff about that. Like, in the beginning, like, how Mm -hmm. you would expect him to be... Actually, that was something that I highlighted. I think you just decided to make your quote, which is fine. Yeah, I like that. Um, but there, there's another bit where it talks about, um, people who didn't apply themselves to the facts in hand might've thought Victor Tugelbend would be fat and unhealthy. In fact, he was undoubtedly the most athletically inclined student in the university. Having to haul around extra poundage was far too much effort. So he saw to it that he never put it on and he kept himself in trim because doing things with decent muscles was far less effort than trying to achieve things with bags of flab. Like, so there's a good. lot of specific things about it that I quite like. He um, has a bequest from a dead uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't particularly want to become a wizard, but the uncle said, you know, if you go to school and become a wizard, you'll get a small stipend and I'll pay for your courses mm-hmm. for as long as you're there, provided you keep your marks above a certain level mm-hmm. and you don't flunk out. So Victor figures out, okay, I need to hit, I need to fail my exams but keep myself mm-hmm. to a certain point um, so that I can just have a, a decent living and I don't have to do anything. And, and being a wizard is dangerous and terrible. And that's a good riff on, we've all known that professional student, mm-hmm. that person who just doesn't want to get out and like, oh, one more class. Oh, maybe I'll start chipping away at my master's, not really mm-hmm. seriously, but long enough to stay mm-hmm. in school and, you you know... Everybody knows somebody like that. And that was kind of a neat, different take on that. I And he works harder at staying in school than most of them because he has to he has to calculate it just so. Yeah, he has to get an 84%, yep. which means one time they marked something right that was wrong and yep. he passed and, and he challenged it. Yep. And there's a lot of good stuff there. And it's like, oh, okay, we're setting up a pretty interesting character. And as soon as he goes off to be an actor, all of that goes away. Yeah, because then he puts in a ton of effort yeah. doing the acting thing. Yeah. And he, that 
it's like a, it, the characters have nothing to do with each other. No. Like, you keep the name, but no characteristics, no nothing. There's a, there's a tiny bit of usefulness when we come back to the city and mm-hmm. deal with the wizards, and he knows things about wizards, and he already knows the, the librarian. Like, having those relationships in place was good, but there's none of his characteristics there anymore. There's some of his backstory there. We built a character yeah. and then just abandoned all of the yeah. characteristics, and then he just became a nothing, like in all of the worst of Terry Pratchett's books. And Ginger was not much either. She, she was nothing. Also- I th- barely remember she was in the book. This is not Terry Pratchett's mm-hmm. fault. This is Nigel Planer's fault. Mm-hmm. He read her with the worst Very British bad. person doing an American accent. And I, look, I have literally spent the last 10 years being an American doing bad British yep. accents in various forms of entertainment. And I'm sure it drives British people nuts. She talks like this. You know, Victor, no, you need no, no, to no. go it's, on like it's that. Way, it's way worse than that. But it's very like this. No, it's more sort of this where you very overpronounce everything. But it's also right up in her nose because that's how British people think American people talk. I mean, there's a bit of that, I suppose. But it's it's more the overpronunciation of everything. I mean, that's Ugh. how you guys sound to me. You guys. Yeah. Canadians sound exactly the same except for a couple of vowel sounds. My all my Canadian people say that I speak with an American accent now. Uh, yeah, because I because you do so much voice acting for me that I say tell you to stop saying sorry, sorry. because that character would not say sorry or about. Every character says sorry and about because it's hard for me to change those ones. Yeah, a Cardassian would not say that. <laughs> There's no Canada on Cardassian. I mean, there might be. There might be. You're right. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ginger, Ginger doesn't really have much to her. Mm-mm. And their love story is nothing. Super nothing. I don't even think they ended up together. Maybe. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. It's just. And then the other uh, woman in the book, because there was one. If you put all of the mentions of women into the book, you might get like a third of a character. Well, Mrs. Cosmopolite. Yep. Who I only remember because she's around in a later book in a mm-hmm. completely different context that has nothing to do with any of mm-hmm. this. I think you just like the name. Yep. And then I think they might have mentioned Mrs. Whitlow again. Uh, very briefly. Yeah. In in the university, so that's a little continuity. And then there's Ruby, who is uh, a lady troll. Yeah. There's a bunch of trolls. The thing is, this book had so many interesting ideas yep. that didn't go anywhere. Sure the did. The idea. This was brought up a couple of times. Yep. The idea that. All the different Discworld races worked together and did not have the usual racial divides. Like they have trolls who were working mm-hmm. with dwarfs who were working with humans. There were mm-hmm. even some elves there, mm-hmm. which no one ever sees. Mm-hmm. And women got the same amount of work as mm-hmm. men. And it's like they even brought it up very briefly where it was like, I couldn't get this good of a job anywhere else. But yeah. here I have the same chance you have. And it's like, this is your book here. Yep. And there were a handful of times where it's like, this is the meat of the story. Why did you like and. He's so good at writing about that social stuff and, and okay, here's a place where we can do a social experiment mm-hmm. and people are treated differently. How would this work? And and that's not what it was about at all. It was about, eh, you remember this movie? Mm-hmm. And the bits where Ruby, this is so brief. Mm-hmm. There's like this weird sort of troll feminism that could have been super interesting because like trolls are like sort of your cartoon 
cavemen. Right. You bonk your woman over the head and you drag her back to your cave mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's like, she doesn't want that. She wants something else. And it's like, okay, let's let's see where this goes. And but it went nowhere. we never hear of it from her. It's always no. from detritus yeah. talking about something she said. Yeah, he's trying to court her and she keeps telling him he's doing it wrong and it's him reacting. Yeah, and so we don't really get to see anything from her perspective yeah. at all. And in a later book, it would have been from over her shoulder. Like, yeah. that's where we would have been. Yeah, and Detritus will go on. Like, he's been mentioned briefly mm-hmm. in previous books. He was a bouncer at the mm-hmm. um, the Mended Drum. Mm-hmm. And he will go on to be a main character or at least a, a secondary character in quite a few books. Like, he's, he's going to stick around. And it was cool to see him, but he's not where he's supposed mm-hmm. to be yet. And he becomes a character I really, really like later on. He's got a super interesting yep. arc because this is where he starts to not just be a dummy. He's still a dummy, mm-hmm. but he starts to realize maybe he could do something with his life more than beating people up, and it gets much better later. But yeah, I really I really come to like this character a lot, yeah. but there's not that much of it here. No, and again, that would have been interesting, That following that, and following, like I say, the whole, the, the whole social mm-hmm. order of things, like... There were a handful of things that could have made a good book. And um, Ginger, actually, despite her name, I was reading on Elspace, is supposed to be based on uh, Thea Barta, mm-hmm. who was like oh, yeah. the most. Her like, original name was yeah. something very close to that. Uh, she's an old time movie star who just like, she, uh, again, the most, mm-hmm. like posing on skulls and saying she was like the daughter of Cleopatra. And like, she was just like, it was all the time with her, and yeah. that could have been an interesting character study. Or if if it was if she was more like Ginger Rogers, which where the name is from, who was also the most awesome. Yeah, but maybe nothing. our favorite old time Hollywood performer of all. Definitely yeah, and like that, top, and that top guy three. that she hangs around with sometimes. The, the dancing guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, she's much much better. Yeah, and. <sighs> Yeah, but that's... There's just nothing. Yeah. No. There's there, nothing there. there. Was, no. Um, I will say my good thing is the introduction of a character who thankfully we will see in later books mm-hmm. as well, uh, who I love immediately. Mm-hmm. It's not like you got to wait for him to get good like with Detritus. He's good from minute one mm-hmm. and he always will be. Mm-hmm. Gaspo the Wonder Dog. So good. He is a little mangy mutt. So cute. Who through some contrivance much like the librarian mm-hmm. has gained sentience in this he gains sentience because of moving pictures just like the um the duck and the tur- right there's the- a whole interminable sequence where uh, daffy duck daffy duck and bugs bunny and tom and jerry are basically there only they're not yeah and they chase each other around and talk and it's hilarious do you get it do you get it yeah um the but Gaspot, yeah, he does get it like that power from this. But in later books, it's sort of retconned mm-hmm. as like he lived near the university and because he loses his powers at the end of this. Like, yeah, he also was clearly supposed to die, and you looked it up clearly. in Elspace, and like yeah. death literally shows up. And I was about to cry mm-hmm. because like oh, death showed no. up for the dog. No. Oh my god! And then it's like never mind, they've come to rescue you. Like that's mm, kind I'm, of a cop out. I mean, Why? I'm glad he's still around. But, okay, so Gaspode can talk and, yep. and reason, and nobody believes that he can talk mm-hmm. even when he talks to them, mm-hmm. which I love, and he walks around saying, woof, woof. He doesn't bark. He says the word woof. And goes growl. Yes, and and so forth. 
Um, and there's a bit, and this will this this is a joke that's repeated a lot, but I always like it. Someone kind of incredulously mm-hmm. turns around and says, "Did did that dog just talk?" And the the human who's kind of wise to it says, "Well, he says he can't talk," mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they just leave it at that. And this, you know, it's dumb, but I really like it. And there's a bit where Victor talks about mm-hmm. how a real hero is someone like Gaspode who does heroic things, kind of grumbles. And is kind of ugly and smelly, mm-hmm. and no one ever like recognizes it. And I re- I liked that a lot. Also, Gaspode has this wonderful dichotomy because Gaspode's a dog. Mm-hmm. He is a dog ass dog yeah. who feels dog feelings, mm-hmm. but he can also reason. And he doesn't want to be a dog. He doesn't he want to be, be subservient. He doesn't want to be subservient to humans. Yeah, he wants he. He He's, wants to go back to the old wolf ways and be yeah. independent or be part of a pack or whatever. But every time he gets kind of close to that, mm-hmm. he falls back into doggishness because that's what he is. Yeah. Like there's a sequence where he falls asleep at Victor's door mm-hmm. and when Victor sees him there the next morning, he's like, I just, I was just here. It wasn't anything. This is just where I fell asleep. Don't yeah. think I was sleeping at your door. Yes, he was. And there's a bit where Victor tries to make him run and mm-hmm. throws a stick, and Gaspode starts running just instinctively mm-hmm. and like, oh god damn it! And he, I think he, he turns and says, "You bastard!" Yeah. There's another dog. Yes. Who is the handsome, you know, laddie? Do mm-hmm. you get it? And The Simpsons made the same joke, mm-hmm. and it wasn't great there either. Like, do you get it? Yes, it's a male version of Lassie. I do get do it. Do you thing. get it? I've just explained it. Yes. Um, but it's funny in that clever little ugly guy has a big dumb sidekick mm-hmm. kind of way and, and laddie is an idiot yeah but everyone loves him yeah, because he's, he's a, beautiful yeah exactly and there there's a lot of like gaspode rolling his mm-hmm. eyes at oh come on you don't need to you don't need to do that and don't 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 just sit there with the treat on your nose mm-hmm. eat the treat what's wrong with you there's uh and i really really like the um especially the voice actor the uh the uh the guy who reads the books he does a great laddie where he goes woof woof laddie good boy woof woof woof. yeah no it's very good and and (laughs) no nigel planer's very good it's it's really only his ginger voice i had a problem with in this he did like maybe more characters in this than usual Mm -hmm. and while they weren't really anything like they didn't have any kind of internal life whatsoever his voices were all very good and his laddie was excellent just a big dumb idiot but his Gaspode was also good. Yes, his Gaspode was sort of also like good. Street smart urchin mm-hmm. kind of voice, which was quite good. Um and I just I don't know, I like the character a lot and there are things coming up that I will like even more, but it's not one of those, uh, you gotta wait. Like, no, he's already He's one of the only good, good things, things, things about this about book. book. Yeah. Yeah. And I jumped on that first, so good luck finding something else. I which did. you did. I know you did, but there was a couple of good things about there this book. There were. I didn't hate there were a couple of things. Where it's like, okay, the librarian is getting into movies, which is fine, whatever. Yeah. I like that he gets swept up in whatever's going on. Yes, I like that as well. I like that he's like, you think a librarian is too good for whatever. And occasionally there's passages about how he kind of looks down on humans because right. he's not a human. And so it's like, it would be very easy to write him as sort of like, you know, pretentious. Right. He's not at all. No, he's into whatever's happening. He is an ape of the people, which yeah. I really like. And- He's got a treatment for a screenplay, which is basically reverse Tarzan. And I don't hate that because it's a little subtle. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, an ape comes to the city and has to live among humans and learn they're strange or is raised by humans or something like that. That's cute. But then there's a bit near the end where uh, the giant 
ginger off the screen mm-hmm. comes off the screen and grabs the ape and climbs the tall tower i'm like okay this is clever yeah, that's and not then bad. it says and then everyone just says out loud basically look at that king kong or something not that but and something very close then they to that. say huh this is neat but it seems wrong it should be the other way around i think yeah and it's like come Ugh. on man just my, I, my intelligence felt so insulted the entire and time. And Terry Pratchett never does that. He always expects you to keep up, mm-hmm. and he always feeds you complicated, emotional, character-driven stories. Yes. And this is none of those things. No, and again, the references are usually buried or clever or like... I usually have to look at L-Space because I mm-hmm. don't get all of it because there's a lot of deep literature stuff. There's a lot of like... L-Space had like nothing to say that I didn't already know, which is weird. Yeah. No, it's usually pretty deep literary stuff or philosophical Mm -hmm. stuff or stuff like he was big into programming and computers and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So there's a lot of stuff there that I don't always get. And like he has a pretty wide, you know, pretty deep breadth of knowledge that I sometimes need help with. But all of this was so surface and superficial and dumb. And there were a lot of bad jokes about L.A. people, Mm -hmm. all those tired jokes about how like, they like bottled water, and they're real picky about the food they want. Wah, wah. I will say, at the very beginning, there was a tiny riff. It was like two sentences long. Mm-hmm. It was nothing about how people in Ankh-Morpork, it, it described them as basically New York people. And right. it was subtle enough that I actually did like it. They talked about- Did you know that New York people and LA yes. people are different from each other? Yes. I'm even sick of you making fun of the fact that that's overstated now is how how overstated it is. You know, the word hero gets thrown around a lot these days. Oh, boy. You know, we're in bed and I could absolutely smother you with a pillow. <laughs> oh, no, I'm weak. There's so many pillows here. Oh, I'm so weak. I'm too weak to fight. Um, The, uh, no, you're going to read The Amazing Maurice with me. Oh, I'm not going to no. do that alone. Um, the Amazing Maurice might be the only one that's worse than this in sorcery. I, we're pretty much through the bad stuff except mm-hmm. that one. But maybe we remembered wrong. Um, we haven't been so far. No but jokes. That anyway. one had zero jokes. Anyway, there's a bit at, near the beginning where they talk about where, where uh, it's like people in Ankh-Morpork hate the city. They hate everything about it. It smells. It's crowded. It's mm-hmm. hot. It's terrible. And they can't wait to get back when they leave. And yep. that felt very New York to me and not in a, eh, just in a, yeah, and- a lot of big cities are probably like that. London people are probably mm-hmm. like that. And, Paris, you know, people in giant cities are probably just like that. It's not just New York. Whereas all the L.A. stuff was so specific to L.A., it was real, real played out. So just. Ugh. And this was played out before this book was written. Like, this book I mean, was written in 1990, and it absolutely was. Yep. I, it was just annoying. And I know there are people who quite like this book. And are probably just like yelling at their devices right now. Like, what's wrong with you? This was hilarious. Enjoy your wrong opinion. I don't think their opinions are wrong. I do think this is not to our taste. This is not what we want from Discworld. Mm-mm. What we want is characters. There are no, like... Except Gaspode. Uh, Gaspode even still is only ever made to be a supporting character. Yeah. He cannot carry a book on his own. There was no one who went through a big major arc. And... I was, like I said earlier, really prepared to latch on to Victor because yeah. I liked a lot of his characteristics and I was really interested in his story. Mm-hmm. But then it was like a guillotine came down and just chopped his character off. Yeah, and there's no, like, there's nobody. There's nobody mm-hmm. who goes through, like, some stuff happens to them and then they all go back to mm-hmm. their lives. But nobody is changed by the events in this book apart from having gone through these events. Like, no one is different now. And, like... 
we do have some characters who are enjoyable who don't change. That's like, fine. Veterinary never really changes. And there's no books about yeah. him. I'm but talking about Granny primary. Never changes. Okay, but that's rare. Um, but because she's such an engaging character, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Yeah. I'll just follow her to the gates of hell. But there's no one like that in this. No, there's just there's nobody. Like they're nothing. And I think the most telling thing about these early books is when you realize he never comes back to any of these characters. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll come back to Detritus, and we'll come back to Ridcully, and we'll come back to Gaspode, but none of these, like, none of the main characters oh, in this. And uh, Ponder Stibbins makes his first appearance Super here. brief appearance. He's just an underclassman taking his exams. That's it. And there's nothing about him, because later on he becomes, like, a programmer character. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing about that here. There's one good joke I really enjoyed, where Ponder sneaks out to get a drink, and then he gets... Um, all of the this weird magic moving picture stuff happens and mm-hmm. like it's he's just traumatized and so he says i was just going out for a drink and then he goes back to the university and they say and he never left again <laughs> yeah and he he becomes like sort of an absorbed nerd mm-hmm. and that's kind of a nice way to start his story is like this is why he tried to be a normal guy and it did not it work it was out not for good him. Yeah, that's and, not too bad and you were actually mentioning that some people think that uh, ponder stibbins is Pratchett's way to uh, oh, make fun of Harry Potter. It's a weird because he's drawn to look like Harry yeah. Potter because he's young for a wizard mm-hmm. and he's drawn with glasses. Round That's glasses. pretty much it. Dark hair? I, I think, think so, yeah. But like this book was written in 1990. The first Harry Pratchett book wasn't until like 97, 98, like many and years this off. character, like he might have just liked the name, yeah. but Ponder... Um, doesn't really like I wouldn't mind seeing Terry Pratchett make fun of Harry Potter but Ponder doesn't really do that he's more no. making fun of programming and like computer nerds yeah no it it's it's a weird thing that doesn't it doesn't really track for me lead anywhere yeah it's it's very strange um okay so I have my quote I would like to read all right do that do which is pretty long um this is since we were talking about Gaspode Um, This is him talking to uh, Laddie. And he says, uh, you don't want to go himblong, umlong, humbling, humbling yourself to humans. It's letting everyone down. We'll never throw off the shackles of dependency on mankind if dogs like you go around being glad to see people the whole time. I was personally disgusted when you did that lion on your back and playing dead routine, let me tell you. Woof. You're just a running dog of the human imperialists, said Gaspode severely. That's actually specifically the quote, but I like this whole passage. Uh, Laddie put his paws over his nose. Gaspode tried to stand up, tripped over his legs, and sat down heavily. After a while, a couple of huge tears coursed down his fur. Of course, I never had a chance, you know. He managed to get back on all four feet. I mean, look at the start I had in life. Thrown in a river in a sack. An actual sack. Dear little puppy dog opens his eyes, looks out in wonder in the world style of thing. He's in this sack. The tears dripped off his nose. For two weeks, I thought the brick was my mother. Woof, said Laddie with uncomprehending sympathy. Just my luck, they threw me in the onk, Gaspode went on. Any other river, I'd have drowned and gone to doggy heaven. I heard where this big black ghostly dog comes up to you when you die and says your time is gum, cone, come. Gaspode stared at nothing much. Can't sink in the onk, though, he said thoughtfully. Very tough river, the onk. Woof, it shouldn't happen to a dog, said Gaspode, metaphorically. Woof, Gaspode peered blearily at Laddie's bright, alert, and irrevocably stupid face. You don't understand a bloody word I've been saying, do you? Woof, said Laddie, begging. Lucky bugger, sighed Gaspode. Oh, so good. That is what I like about that character, Mm -hmm. all right there. And it's a bit long, but, you know, 
Also, Running Dog, very, very good. Yep. If the book was all about him, that would have been fun. It was not. It was not. No. He was good in it, but was, it was not. He was a good, would you say he was a good dog? I would say he was a good dog. Because that's all he wants. What a good dog. They all just want to be a good dog. Good dogs. Yes. But no, the bit where death shows up for him at the end and then doesn't. That was weird. Him clearly feels like a, a redo. And you saw in. Uh, yeah. In L space that like his beta readers were like, don't kill the dog. Are you crazy? Yep. I thought at least he, he like. I was sad, and I thought at least he could kill Laddie there. Yeah, if he killed Laddie, that would have been. I'm not, and I'm not like in love with dead dogs. No, but, of course uh, not. But if you want a sad moment, mm-hmm. and especially for Gaspo to say, "Oh, he was stupid, but he didn't deserve that." But he was that. my friend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, there wasn't. There wasn't any of that. Um. So my bad thing. Oh yes, we haven't talked about yeah, that yet. Is it turns out that the reason for moving pictures and all of that is the goddamn dungeon dimensions again, uh-huh. which, like... <sighs> Isn't that the bad guy in six other books yeah, so Yeah, like, at first I thought it was just this... Because um, uh, Terry Pratchett talks about parasite ideas mm-hmm. later on, um, mm-hmm. where there are these ideas that will burrow into the world like ticks well and into the multiverse like yeah the idea was that hollywood has surfaced that's why we have it in our world because it's right. one iteration that happens all over the right. place and i i thought that this was the beginning of his parasite idea mm-hmm. um but it's not no. it's just a fucking dungeon dimensions again which we just visited in eric yep like like last just, book yeah it's yeah it's nothing it's totally nothing and i will say yep near the end mm-hmm. when it all paid off um there were some a couple of good there Lovecraft jokes. There were some jokes. good Lovecraft jokes. Because when you talk about specifically these dark creatures mm-hmm. trying to come in from a, a different world, there were some good like riffs yeah. on Love Track. Uh, love Track. Lo- baby Love mm-hmm. Track. Lo- Lovecraft. Um there was like uh you know uh one of the wizards uh, well you know not dead witch eternal lie. Okay, but it's dead, which I liked. Yep. And it's 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 a corpse. And it turns out that which will never die is just it, dead. It's just dead. Yep. Yep. And then at one point, uh, the the, uh, the new art form is referred to as cinema. Mm-hmm. Pretty funny. Which was all right. Yeah. There were there were a couple of bits. Not certainly not enough to justify no. any of that. And you're <laughs> right. The same bad guy as several other books. Yeah. With they don't have any motives. It's just sort of transparent evil. Yeah. They just want to eat up the world. Whereas, first of all, the people who summoned the dragons and guards guards were interesting. And then the dragon itself had some mm-hmm. motives that were interesting. There was a couple of layers there. Like the guy summoning him wanted to manipulate mm-hmm. weak-minded people to put himself in power. And then the dragon itself, when it got a taste of the real world again, yep. wanted to stay there. Both of those things were interesting. None of this is interesting. Nope. So, yeah. Anything else? Um, There was another good line that I really enjoyed um, the things from the dungeon I mentioned are falling and they're going to die. And it uh, switches forms trying to look for a um, a form that will survive the fall. Like it's trying to mm. have wings or whatever. And then it falls and it dies. And the line is, um, it turns out the only form that would survive the fall was a corpse, which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, that's not bad, I guess. That's not some. It's some, some not bad wordplay. Like mm. I say, there was some. There were some laughs in this, and there was some wordplay that was pretty good. But 
not enough. Nothing to really. We like, listened to it. this to the audiobook on one point five speed. That is very fast, and there still was maybe a laugh every ten minutes. Yeah, and I didn't listen to it the whole way that fast, but toward the end, when there was an hour left, yeah. Once I hit, once I I thought I had hit the ending of the book, and I'm like, okay, well now we're gonna have seven hundred epilogues, but it wasn't. Then there was a second ending to the book. I'm like, okay, I cannot. With no, when this when faster. The, when the monster came to the city and they fought it and beat it. That's the end. And then they went back to Hollywood to fight it again. Why? Yeah. And and the first ending of the book was actually fairly was right. strong. It wasn't yeah. amazing. No, like and... we said, we liked the, the movies coming alive thing. But then going back and fighting it again and doing the Oscar joke, mm-hmm. dumb. Also, they had, again, already made the Oscar joke. Mm-hmm. It was already there. I got it 100 pages before. It's just, yeah, you're poking me right now. There was also a ton of characters describing how movies were made mm-hmm. to me and everyone knows this everyone knows movies are shot out of order everyone knows that the scenery is fake particularly in old movies we all know why do we have to walk through characters learning this when we already like and we already know describing the plot of movies that we yeah. already know yeah and you haven't seen Gone with the Wind, but you know what it's about enough that yep. halfway through that, you're like, okay, let's let's move it along. And I never will see Gone with the Wind. You don't need to. It's fine. All right. So for best pune or play on words, mm-hmm. uh, well, best. Best. You know. Valedictorian of summer school. You like puns. I do, but this is, I mean, the, su- the I summer this school one. is this book. I picked this one. If you have a better one, nope. let's hear it. All right, this is where, this is as we're barreling toward the second ending, and they're walking through the, the catacombs of, of what is clearly the Oscar theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it says, Victor winced, and he led his little group of Hollywood gorillas, at least two gorillas and one orangutan, up the worn steps into the pit. Because he's, he's not a gorilla. Okay. What's your grade? Um, so... I call this a D or maybe a D and a half. What's a D and a half? You know, That's a not D how grades work. D or D and a half. What's a D, D plus? Is that no, what you mean? D and a half. So like a B? Nah, half a D. That doesn't, what? No. D and one half D. Okay, I've seen that porn, but I don't <laughs> think. <laughs> it was slightly better than sorcery, but only just slightly. I disagree. It had all the problems sorcery had, and it insulted my intelligence. I found sorcery had no laughs. This had a couple of laughs. Yeah, and so many failed attempts at laughs that it negated all those and made me angry. As a comedy writer and someone who appreciates comedy Mm -hmm. and someone who appreciates this particular writer of comedy, it really bugged me because I know he knows better. I know he can do better. Guards, guards was so good. It was so character driven and also funny. Both things, like he sacrificed one thing mm-hmm. for the other thing. And Weird Sisters, same thing. Yep. And Equal Rights, yep. same thing. There are several examples prior to this showing that he had the skills. He knows how to make compelling characters whose motives we understand and also are interested, like engaged in serious stakes that are also funny. Like all of those things. Not this though. No. This is just this i also gave it a d i maybe even a d minus did you give it so you gave it a a d and a minus half d no that's not how grades work you should not be a teacher for many reasons (laughs) oh god i should not be you don't have patience with children no or with anyone yeah all right so the cliche count actually pretty low but but okay 
There's only one gingerly. I didn't count all the instances of the character named Ginger. Yeah, that that doesn't feel count. right. No. So one, no susuration. Mm-hmm. Two, surreptitious. Three things that happen to other people. That's a that lot. Is, that is up like that is up and running now. I knew it would pay off and to do that. Three of such a distinctive phrase. Yeah, it's that's such a, a lot. It's such a dad joke. Mm-hmm. It's such a he thought that speed limits were things that happened to other people. You know that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, no quantum, but so. Here's the thing. The phrase moving pictures mm-hmm. in this book, like there are many different words used in this book to describe the medium of movies. They use the word movies. Yep. They, they use the word films. They also clicks because clicks. it goes clickety, clickety, click right. on the And the it's reels. like flicks here, but yeah. different. So like there's a bunch of different words. So there's no reason you should mm-hmm. lean on any one of these because he's created four or five different mm-hmm. and ones that exist in our world. So there's no reason you should lean on any one of mm-hmm. them a lot. So counting this phrase feels fair to me because there were a lot of alternatives. The phrase moving pictures, 47 times. Oh, so many. The I didn't Do count. Do you get it? It's 49 if you count the copyright page. Yeah. And, the, and no, those don't count. In the story itself, moving pictures, 47 times. That's nuts. Do you get it? Do you? Please stop. All right. I'll stop when he stops. He's dead. He can't hurt us anymore. Also, he will be giving us like unbridled joy for so many much books to joy. come. Like we're we're through the worst of it. The next book, as we recall, is okay. But after that, oh man. Yeah, Reaper Man's all right. It's got some solid stuff in it. There's some boring bits. It's been a long time. I yeah. think I'm gonna enjoy it. Especially after I didn't like Eric mm-hmm. and I didn't like this one. It's gonna be a huge step up. Right. And then we have several in a yes. row that we yes. both quite like. So it's it's happening. It's finally happening. It's finally here. Yeah. So sprinting through these for the reason that we did that didn't pay off was a little disappointing. But sprinting through to start getting to the good stuff is worth it. <sighs> Everyone should feel sorry for my agony and all of the work I put in. And <laughs> By the time they hear this is going to be August and either you'll have sawn your, sawed your leg off or everything will be fine again. Feel sorry for my agony and put money in on the Patreon well, because of do. my agony. I'm about to tell you about that. This has been a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Amanda Smith for Algar Productions and Giant Black Albatross, copyright 2019. For our full archives, RSS feed, and more details about us, visit thedeathofpodcast.com. And for access to our show notes, bonus photos, advanced copies of episodes, and even the opportunity to pick something for us to review, consider a donation at patreon.com algar. That's A-A-L-G-A-R. Thanks for listening.